Welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. How's it going? You alright? Uh, sorry, I, I can't actually hear you. This is, I'm so sorry. This episode has a bit of a bus theme, if not a theme, a recurring motif. We've got an interview with Pascal Robinson from Better Buses for Greater Manchester, a passenger-led campaign for an affordable, easy, reliable and regulated bus network. But before that, we've got a segment that is guaranteed to convince you to abandon your car forever. And me and Sean discuss commodification, trivia, and blood. Would you sell your blood? How much would you sell your blood for? I don't like questions like this because when someone goes, oh, would you do this for a million pounds or would you do this for a grand? I don't like... No, that's a hypothetical. This in, is in, a hypothetical. Mm-mm. Oh, you're actually in, in buying a, my blood mm, right now. I, I don't want your blood right now. <laughs> unless, you don't, unless you want my blood, <laughs> then this is a hypothetical. Unless you're literally using this as a prelude to try and get blood from me using money. Yes, that's, I got a plan. I got a sales pitch. I got to use neuro-linguistic programming on you. I'm not going to admit... You're going to dare brown my blood out of my veins. I need to make you think... I want you to think that I'm doing you a favour by you giving me your blood for like 50p. Originally, this question seemed to be about how much monetary value I put on my blood. Yeah. But now you're just trying to teach me how to be a salesman. So in America, they really do. I've heard about the for okay. plasma, right? They, yeah, yeah. they, they, they well, buy blood. No, they don't have blood donation like we have. Oh, you get paid for it, don't you? You get paid for it, but that means the only people who... Do you get paid virtually for Virtually the only people who give blood are people who need to give blood. Like they need to survive as like homeless people and people who are very poor give yeah. blood because obviously people at the, on these very vulnerable fringes of the so, economy are going to be more vulnerable to malnutrition problems. And- so they have more problems with contaminated blood and stuff, but also they have more blood shortages because they've, they've commodified it. Yeah. So it's just an example of like the market just absolutely fucking something up because... Well, once you say that something you should be paid for something, people won't do it for free. Yeah. Here, we've never thought about the idea that your blood is a product right it's a really good example of the effect of commodification because you don't want well, because it's a commodity you, i, I won't do it i ask free. you and go how much would you sell me your blood for yeah. and your reaction wasn't oh an opportunity i'm going to sell my blood and maximize my profits yeah the you moment- were like why the fuck do you want to buy my blood you didn't even say that you were like this can't be real that was your initial reaction well what i was going to say actually is that any of these hypotheticals about oh how much would you sell me your blood for they're not really asking anything about the blood. They're just saying, like, how much money do you have and how much do you need to get some more money? Mm-hmm. Like, if someone were to go, oh, yeah, how much would I have to pay you to make you drink a pint of bull semen? It's not really a question about how much I want to drink bull semen because we all know I don't want to drink bull semen. It's a question of... Isn't there bull semen in Red Bull? Isn't that one of the things... It's called taurine and it's, it's like... Um, it's it's a compound that can be harvested from bull semen, but the idea that there's bull semen in 
Red Bull is just a bit more of a, a nightclub urban beer. Ah, oh, okay. I got duped. It's okay. When people are drinking Red Bull and people don't know what to say, that does come up and I, I bring that up as well. Nice. I think there's a certain kind of a social demographic that if they have no, nothing to say, they reach out to sort of easily disprovable QI level trivia. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I sort of, I know this is probably wrong, but I'm going to say it to fill a conversational void. Yeah, I hate it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll, I've got something else to say on trivia, but let me just finish my initial thing. Those questions about how much would you drink bull semen for, they're not asking anything about your relationship with bull semen. They're just saying, how poor are you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It's a very, very considered way of going, hey, what's your income? Are you poor? Would you? I would probably, I would probably do loads of disgusting stuff for quite a small amount of money because I don't have very much money. Well, yeah. But that doesn't tell you anything about how revolted I am by it. It's just the fact I need money to live. Yeah. And Alan, so I would do things I don't want to do. You would definitely drink a pint of bullcum for way less than Alan Sugar would drink a pint of bullcum. Instantly. But that doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> and by instantly, I don't mean... I would, you'd strawpedo. You'd just bang it down. When I said instantly. Yeah, I don't instantly mean I'd was chug, interesting word. Mean, <laughs> I said I would instantly agree. And savour it. Yeah. So... No, <laughs> there's no good way of saying I'd um, approach this situation. So it doesn't mean you want to chug bull I'd hesitate, but agree. That's what I should have said. You don't want to chug bullcum less than Alan Sugar. It just means yeah. I don't economic... want. I don't want this. The idea that me agreeing to drink bullcum for an amount of, I really don't. I don't like the the fact that we've landed on this chugging bullcum. You definitely thing. landed it on like it. Feels like a very different cast. Weirdly, that wasn't me. La- I landed on it, but I thought we'd use it as a landing pad and then move on somewhere else. But here we are circling the Well, another, I'll change it. So the um, one of the racist things PewDiePie did was he kept hiring people, poor people, to hold up racist signs. And his defense was like, oh, I'm just, it's was funny it like that they will. Was using Fiverr? I think he was using Fiverr to get people to, I, I don't know the details, but. There's like uh, a racism built into Fiverr because there's a few people like with African accents that get used an incredible amount uh, by YouTubers. We've reached the point of online racism where just being black is funny. Yeah. I think I remember something like he got some kids to hold up some anti-Semitic sign or some Nazis. I don't know the specifics. A heated gaming moment. Yeah. And correctly, people were like, this is bad, PewDiePie. I don't think people were hating on these kids for doing it because I think there was an understanding of the reason they've done that is is not because they're anti-Semitic, because they've been offered some money in the very yeah if i'm like doing bum fights and i get someone to say the n-word because they live on the street and i'll give them a grand Mm. you can't exactly say oh wow you've outed yourself as a closet racist there (laughs) (laughs) that's not a very reasonable interpretation of the events but that would be if a full free market choice would be like oh well actually it was the choice of those you know, they freely entered a contract. Oh, I mean, to that's the full free market thing, yeah. Ant- anti-Semitic sign. So that was actually all the agency was with them rather than PewDiePie. If you want to go full free market, that is. Oh, I mean, if I'm starving in the desert and someone will only give me water unless I take a selfie with a swastika, mm. well, yeah, you're absolutely fine to bar me from all positions in future because now <laughs> I've outed myself as an anti-Semite. <laughs> I chose to do that. I, I, I entered the marketplace of ideas. <laughs> The thing I was going to say about trivia earlier, I remember when I was younger, I really did mix up knowing those like strange little trivia, QI level mm. trivia information with like knowledge. I'd know a lot of those things. And now that I'm an adult, I find that it's like the recycle bin of my brain. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know like when little trivia things you rem- like you see something and you're like, oh, that's an urban myth or blah blah blah, yeah. and it's in there, and you're like, I'm never going to say that because the moment I say that to another human being, I feel a level of self revulsion that I would correctly feel to anyone who said it to me. Oh yeah, there was a ha- a really great headline about some bin being found with loads of human limbs mm-hmm. sewn together. And I think the headline was something to do with Frankenstein. Oh, that's the classic one, right? You know, that bit of your brain goes like, actually, (laughs) although maybe Frankenstein is kind of the guy's child. So is he also a Frankenstein? I don't know. It was a a complicated thing. But then also if they're just saying it's reminiscent of Frankenstein and as in the act of sewing these body parts together dr frankenstein you would have but, done but that so it kind of works the but, fact that you're talking the, like that shows that the friction in your brain is so present that you have to come up with a way of resolving it yeah i, so I that don't you want don't, to yeah you don't yeah. want to think that so the ones i have the plural of octopus mm. everyone goes octopi okay yeah and it's such an annoying one because someone once told me oh it's it's actually greek so it would be mm, octopode because yeah, yeah, of pod yeah. meaning foot and i'm yeah. like well no one's gonna say octopode octopode so that's yeah just say octopuses but then someone will go oh octopi and then you end up at the beginning of the triangle and i don't want to be that guy i don't re- i don't give a shit aluminum aluminium the bloke who discovered aluminum called it aluminum oh right and then that's someone nice. you know but i don't want to know this oh, i don't care do about you know this. when people this isn't, say this at, isn't being smart i'm gonna do my last one because it's the one that, that that gets me a lot do you know the phrase as is my want and they're doing mm-hmm. like w-o-n-t as yeah. is my want to do or as is his want okay that's actually pronounced won't. That's that's the actual pronunciation of it. People just say want because they assume it, they'll sound dumb if it's won't. Right. And I hate it because it means I can't use the word. I'm not going to use it correctly or wrong. If I use it wrong and someone corrects me, then obviously they're an arsehole, but I'll feel dumb. But if I use it correctly, people are so mm. unfamiliar with that pronunciation that they'll think I'm wrong. So that's, <sighs> but it's just knocked the vocab out. I'd never use that phrase anyway. Do you know, I saw some people at the back of the bus once. Well, this is like some mainstream comedy content. It is. You'll love it. Fucking hell. Um, Strap in. I don't know why this reminds me of this, but it feels like it's like in the same cultural ballpark. Double-decker bus, back of the bus, at the top deck. Well, some you're kids a bad at, boy. Oh, yeah. Boy. I'm not afraid of anything. Yeah. Um, and some kids at the back are playing music on their phone out loud. Classic move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not an uncommon thing to yeah, have experienced. Yeah, yeah. Dead annoying. But the reason I'm up there is because like that's all that's left. So you've got people who aren't back of the bus mm. guys, but they're yeah, back yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. And so this guy's obviously like not a back of the bus guy. He doesn't know that sometimes yeah, people yeah. are going to play their music off their phone. Yeah. He's a nerd. A dork, yeah. yeah. He doesn't belong there. Yeah, yeah. He goes to ask these kids to stop playing the music. A brave man. But this thing happens to him. The way he has to articulate that request he can't just talk like a normal person and i feel like i've seen this phenomenon a lot he can't be like hey are you all right not to play that because that's like doing my head and i've had a long day he has to he has to say excuse me do you mind if you cannot play that music please many of us are trying to it's like who the fuck are you talking like yeah. this is like an enid blight and schoolmaster character do you know what i mean he's not yeah. talking to the way you talk to anyone else excuse me do you mind what the fuck are you on about? That's I've seen that on the. And the kids coach. had a proper go at him because, like, when you start talking like that, it shows that you're really intimidated by the scenario. And I, I didn't want. I was hot. It was a hot day. I didn't want the music on at the back of the bus. And I was kind of glad he was going to tell him not to. But because he said it like that, I really was happy the kids just had Adam a go did. at him. Yeah. I almost felt like I should turn around to the kids and apologize to them. 
I'm saying I'm really sorry. Yeah, sorry for this guy. Excuse me, do you mind? And then and then like they're saying like fuck off, mate. Yeah. And he was saying, do you mind not using that kind of language on the uh, bus? And it's like, what the hell are you talking off. about? What the fuck hell off. are you talking about? Uh, Get fucked. Yeah, like, put it louder. Yeah, honestly, I didn't like the music and I didn't really like the kids, but fully on their side in this one. If you're gonna talk to someone in that way, like I feel like when you start talking like that, it's like you're putting on your hyacinth bucket telephone voice yeah it's like you're trying to use a class signifier to force through your desired bus settings have you seen the upgraded version of this which is middle class man starts using weird language uh, are we talking- all right lads this is the quiet coach can we because <laughs> everyone outside of the dominant uh the dominant class has to do code switching yeah and like I guess because you're from like a Welsh family. I don't really know where your background extends to beyond you're from Wales. Yeah. And I'm from a big Irish family. So there's always been a different culture at home. Mm. (laughs) They're seeing IRA rebel songs. (laughs) (laughs) So I can't take that out into the streets, can I? I never really understood like my Irish cultural heritage, but things like that where they're singing, they're singing songs that I later were like, oh yeah, these are like rebel songs. Mm. But I just didn't know that. It's just the songs that are back home and a lot of the codes associated with your home and your home culture. And then there's like this far more British culture that you're in. I'm making the point a bit sloppily. But Listen, everyone has to learn code switching, even if you're just not the dominant economic class. I think you're right. Yeah. And I think the thing you described, your initial thing, yeah. which is more common than the thing I've seen a couple of times. Yeah. I think I've only seen that like twice. And it's been very awkward both and crashed and burned. Is can I speak to the manager voice? You're using, these are the can I speak to your manager people, but they're can I speak to the manager to a group of lads. Can I speak to the manager, but done down? Down. Because it's their only... Can I speak to the manager is always done downwards, isn't it? Because you're normally talking to serving staff. Yes. And anyone who's got serving staff jobs are always the shittest jobs. So they're always low pay. So they're always someone who's not in a great situation in the first place. So if you're a middle-class person talking to a can I... Well, you're normally talking down anyway. You've seen the ultimate frustrated guy on bus move, haven't you? Which is if the initial interaction fails, Mm -hmm. then he goes to the bus driver to try and tell him off. The manager of the bus. You You must have seen that. I've seen plenty of it, but like... It never works. The bus driver doesn't give a shit. Yeah, and he's got to stay in his, or they've got to stay the in there. The bus driver often has a policy, I can't leave. Yeah. In Birmingham, because like, but Birmingham's fucked in a lot of ways. Like, Birmingham's in a, a real mess. Just in terms of like, Birmingham late night buses feel dangerous as fuck. Yeah. Someone once um, just went on the bus, folded up a newspaper and stuck it into the coin slot. And I went on the bus right after them. Hi, what do I do with these coins? And he says, I don't know, I can't help you. You'll have to just come on. Everyone just went on the bus. He said, I'm not allowed to leave to fix this. Everyone rode for free. Just because someone just got like a metro and just stuck it in the coin slot. Little tip there. It's a real hack. That guy was a martyr. Because the metro's right there. It's so easy to do. Yeah. And he got, as far as I saw, because I rode quite a long, I rode like the majority of that route. He had no repercussions. See, I'm little village south of Rill. Mm-hmm. One bus every hour. Yeah. One bus every, sometimes every half hour. Dreadful. The school bus was, was those two good things about the bus journey, like the school bus, double-decker bus, is it, there's this like big hill in the like little crappy village I grew up in. Mm-hmm. Going down the hill, this lad who I'm not going to name, he was expelled from school. And what he'd do is he'd wait at the Tavan Newydd car park, the pub car park, with gravel because it's gravelly car park mm. and he just chucked gravel at the bus 
And it was it was a bus route. There was no way to avoid it. The bus driver would have to go through this ordeal every day. And he would just lob two handfuls of gravel at the bus. Make a big satisfying noise. Um, So that was on the way to school. Yeah. And then on the way back, we'd have to go up this big hill and it was a really steep incline and it was a really old crappy bus. Yeah. And pretty reliably, you could all go to the back of the bus and it would just break down on the on the hill. But then there were inner bus wars because actually some people really did want to get to like the upper stop. Yeah. <laughs> didn't just need to get off 10 meters away or whatever. And they'd be yeah. like, oh, actually, I kind of, you don't, don't do it today. Come on. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, you could basically really fuck the bus up by all going to the back of it. That's and that amazing. was good value. And that was bus driver John. That's but proper. he had no control. You know, like he yeah. doesn't, he doesn't want this shit, but he's got, yeah. he's behind the steering wheel of this huge dangerous vehicle. Yeah. Full of with kids. All, full of just yeah. feral North Wales kids. I like the idea that not only do you get to decide whether the bus breaks down, yeah. but independently there's people going, I don't think we should. Yeah, deliberative it? democracy. Yeah. Well, you know the uh, democracy as a bus on a roundabout metaphor? No. It's just a basic criticism of democracy. Yeah. So let's say we're all on roundabout okay 100 people in the bus to represent just simple percentages and there's three turnings off and a third of each group want to go off each thing so every time you get to a turning people in the bus go should we turn off here and two-thirds say no and that represents the 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 inbuilt conservatism of democracy because it just takes a majority not to want to do this particular decision yeah and then you stay on the roundabout forever and I say it's like it holds up as a very basic criticism yeah. of <laughs> voting. Yeah, in that specific scenario. <laughs> well, in well, that tends to be the scenario that our parliament works by. Yeah, yeah the idea of voting. Oh, I'm not defending the Westminster system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I'm like, our, it very specifically criticizes the way we do it, which is so you know the whole we vote for you, and it goes, oh, Michael Gove said on this occasion that he actually wanted this, but we've seen that he's voted against it. Mm. A lot of that gets, conv- and a lot. If, Either it gets confused or it's a way in which like a lot of conservative MPs are excusing themselves because the way our parliamentary system works is people put a bill towards solving something, but that bill could be dog shit. So if someone's saying, oh, we need to protect sparrows in mm. Northumberland and they've this person, this MPs always said, oh, I do want to protect sparrows in Northumberland. And then someone go, well, actually, two years ago, you voted against this bill to protect them. Mm. And they could say, well, if you read that bill, it said they wanted to put them all in a box and put them underground to keep them alive, preserved in amber. <laughs> so I'd have voted that down. <laughs> Except you never get that full conversation because it only goes as far as you voted against it. And that is the yeah. way our system works. You go, do you want to do this particular solution to this problem? You go, that solution's really shit. Yeah. So they could they could be a vote on Parliament of how much do you want to pay for blood? Yeah. And your choice is a hundred pound a pint for blood. Yeah. Or ten p a pint for blood, you can't you can't vote. Blood shouldn't be a commodity. That isn't. That's not on there. Yeah, for some reason yeah. you can only vote. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Skinner's there shouting it until he gets sent out. Yeah, <laughs> Dennis, please. <laughs> and he's bringing up other stuff involved with nothing to do with blood. So, <laughs> some some old issue from eighty years ago. <laughs> Dennis. <laughs> No, he's bringing up, he's just going through all the liquids. Yeah, he's going to every lymph. Every liquid he's voted lymph, against in Parliament. A bull cum. Yeah. They still love me in Bolsover. I'll vote against every liquid you got and they'll still send me back. <laughs> 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 I've been voting down water for 30 years. <laughs> I've been voting down water? <laughs> no water. <laughs> I've been voting down water. <laughs>
This is an anti-car propaganda broadcast funded by the KGB and Cyclo, the living bike that feels pain. Everybody loves Cyclo, he feels pain. Let's get rid of cars, whatever you call it. The horseless carriage, the automobile, the four-wheeled fuck wagon. Dogging reference. Reason one to get rid of your car. Cars are Tory. The car is the most Tory vehicle. On the left, the authoritarian left, you've got a massive tank. When you buy it, you get a free bloke with shopping bags to stand in front of you. Nightmare. The more libertarian left, bikes. Everything from tandem to rickshaw to cyclo the living bike that feels pain. Centrists get the train from Snowpiercer. Because it's privately owned, the world outside is fucked, but they just keep going in the same direction, and everyone's trapped inside it. But on the right, you got the car. Your Tory auntie's got a BMW X5. Your free market libertarian brother has a go-kart. He drives it through the supermarket. That's illegal! The only laws I recognise are As soon as you're in a car, you start getting Tory brain. Everyone on the road is the enemy. Anyone slower than you, anyone faster than you. Cyclists are like Renazis. Buses are huge oblong slugs with their own lane, a lane that should be yours. Every lane should be yours. Don't believe me? Well, according to polls, Toriness increases by 10% a decade. You know what else increases 10% a decade? Car ownership. Only half the people in Britain, under 30, have cars. If only the under 30s voted in the 2017 general election, Labour would have got 64%. Coincidence? I think not. Probably. Reason 2. Reduce stress. Get rid of your car and you'll never have to look for a parking space again. Never again will you have to pay, nor will you display. You will be able to consume the internet into your eyes safely. You will be able to read books. Well, our book. Well, you could read it more than one book. You'll be able to play Smash Brothers without having to check your mirrors for cr 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 crushed youths. You will never again have to purchase car insurance or compare the market for car insurance. Reason 3. Stick it to the man. The man. Wants you to use a car. The man. Has used a Hollywood and video game machine to make you think they're cool. That cars are freedom. But the man. Is lying to you. No one is forcing you to get rid of your car, buddy. <laughs> Not yet. But is trying to force you to keep driving it at every turn. Lobbies against public transport infrastructure. Lobbies for more roads. Build supermarkets and shopping centres outside of town with huge car parks. In the UK in the 1960s, 55% of train stations and 30% of route miles were shut down by the Beecham Report. And to this day, chancellors repeatedly give away millions of pounds in revenue by freezing taxes on fuel while slashing bus and rail subsidies. It's my choice. Yeah, but the man made all the other choices suck. Reason 4. Petrol stations. Petrol might smell delicious, but if you drink it, it makes you feel bad. Therefore, I suspect that anything that must be filled with petrol must be an agent of Satan. Want more evidence? I got it. Dinosaur ghosts. Petrol is made of ancient dino. Burning this fuel releases their ghosts. The dinosaurs got apocalypsed by an asteroid, and now they're going to apocalypse us with carbon dioxide. 
okay, technically petrol is made from oil, which is fossilized algae, which is a, isn't quite a dinosaur, but it is from dinosaur times. It, it, it would want vengeance. Petrol stations are bad, and you only have to go there if you have a car. Stop it. Save yourself from the dino ghosts. Remember that time you got tricked into buying M&Ms for £3.50? Never again. No! Driving a car is only part of its environmental impact. Constructing it and getting rid of it are almost as bad. A report by the Fraunhofer Institute for Building Physics revealed that it takes twice the amount of energy to build an electric car as a conventional petrol car, mainly because of the battery. Sorry, Elon. There's no environmental car. That notion is again the work of the man. Reason five. We could use the roads for other stuff. Not just bikes and buses. We'd have so much more space, we could do pretty much whatever we want. Skateboarding, bare knuckle brawls, LARPing, cockfights. We can even put bunting out and have street parties. Oh wait, that's pretty Tory. Right, that's all I can think of. Right, go out now. That should have done you. If you've got a car, get out and burn it now. Drive it onto the moors or whatever your equivalent is. The day this podcast releases, I want the night sky to be filled with the flames of a thousand burning cars. If you don't go and burn your car, you hate the environment and are bad and should feel bad. Thank you. Russia, please send the money to the usual account. Cyclo, I'll see you behind the bins. Hello, Pascal. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. You're, you're quite welcome. Let's start with the basics. Uh, what is a bus? <laughs> uh, why, why are buses important? Why do they matter? So buses matter because they're how we keep our communities connected. They're how we take part in society. Um, it's how we access work, jobs, services, um, our loved ones and leisure as well. Uh, a common misconception is that we only use buses to do our commute, but that's just not true at all. Um, we need buses to get around. Even your hated ones, you could use a bus to access them. <laughs> that was one of the things Elon Musk said. The reason public transport is bad is that you could be sat next to a serial killer. But then like people... <laughs> never heard that. Yeah, he said that like a year ago when he was talking about his Hyperloop thing. That's definitely not one of the campaign tactics <laughs> to say like use buses to get to your hated ones, yeah. You're not pro-Musk? You don't want to uh, dig tunnels <laughs> under Manchester? No, it might awaken the mole people. I use buses. Do you? Yeah, I'm guessing you yeah, use buses. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, I think they're the most used form of transport. So they're the most popular form of public transport. Uh, mm. They make up... 75% of journeys in Greater Manchester alone. But of course, that's declining all the time because mm. our bus network is in a mess. And that should also <laughs> be put in the context of the fact that 77% of journeys in Greater Manchester happen by car currently. Wow. So we have to fix it. We have to change things. But buses are beloved for so many reasons. We, yeah. of course, rely on them. There are so many times when you're stuck, but also you just want to get somewhere. Um, and... Oh, there are just so many reasons that I haven't even got onto. For example, nightlife as well. Nightlife is dependent on buses. That's why we're campaigning, basically. And that's why I think we've been, I'd like to think, effective in getting lots of people involved is because so many people love their buses. Absolutely. You can't uh, drink drive, but you can't drink bus. Well, don't <laughs> not like liquefy a bus and drink within it. Within reason. Um, yeah, <laughs> within reason. Don't have to park a bus. Yeah, That's definitely. a win. Um, and you have great conversations on a bus as well. Yeah. 
I'm always, I'm always shocked at how many good conversations I do have. One of the core premises of club comedy is something you've seen on a bus. Normally, little industry spoiler, it's completely fictional and made up. I know, right? Whoa. Behind the curtain. But like you say, so usage is declining. But Pascal, that means the market is deciding that buses are bad, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, so... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> wouldn't quite agree. Uh, so the bus network that we have currently is obviously deregulated. And what that means in, in actual practice is that bus companies choose what routes to run, what fares to charge, the timetables and the ticketing system. And that means that we have this really fragmented system. And it means that bus companies cherry pick. So they only run buses if they can make a super profit. In a regulated or what we call publicly controlled bus network, bus companies make around 3% profit, 3 to 4%. And in our privatized deregulated Wild West, they make around 8 to 10% profit. And people on the industry wow. tell me that it's more like 20%. They they completely choose what routes they want to run. Everyone's trying to get a piece of the pie, but it doesn't work for communities. Mm. So if your route isn't profitable enough, it will get cut. And that's what we've seen in Greater Manchester. Eight million miles of routes have been taken off Greater Manchester's network since 2010. Whoa. That's It's a shocking... Eight million miles. Exactly, yeah. That in itself, of course, leads to people being less able to count on the bus because your bus only runs once an hour. Your bus stops at 3 p.m. I know people whose bus <sighs> stops at 3 p.m. And that in itself forces you to turn to a taxi or a car. Um, you're spending way more money. Fares are going up all the time. They went up nearly 7% this year um, for the second year in a row. Uh, we've just seen, just in the last two days, Magic buses have gone up by 50p, which of course really hits Ugh. students as well. Oh, it's gone up again. Exactly. I, so I live in Rushome and there's a, the, the route that the bus companies love course, is this big yeah. spine from Manchester City Centre. Basically the kind of student drag, isn't it? Mm. Um, and it's the most used route. So they're just... But people need to use it, so they'll probably pay the money, right? So it's whatever the market will sustain. Completely. Mm. People depend on those buses and it is their most popular route. And people will often say, oh, well, the students get all the resources. But again, speaking to students, even they're not very happy with that service because often loads will come by that are full um, because they treat students like sardines and then you're waiting ridiculous amounts of time there is nowhere in greater manchester really that has a as a sufficient service that matches communities needs because the decisions are being made by companies who are just making all the decisions based on what's most profitable not based on need exactly and it's not even just passengers need for the buses even people who don't use buses benefit from buses right because cars there's fewer cars on the road so even if you're some like top gig Jeremy Clarkson guy, you should love buses because it means fewer people are driving around in cars and you can... Completely. I've not even mentioned that. So we have an air pollution crisis, a health crisis, an environmental crisis. We need a really good public transport network and buses are a huge part of that. 6.7% of people are in what we call forced car ownership, which wow. is where you can't, you don't want, or maybe you can't afford a car, but you've got one just because that's what it takes right now to be a reliant member of society. Yeah. And the Joseph Roundtree Foundation also did a really interesting report showing how, again, people just didn't feel like they could 
could take up jobs because buses were so unreliable that often their commutes in Greater Manchester were longer than the job centre's limit for a reasonable commute. Sometimes two hours one way, two hours back. If you have caring needs, you, you can't do that. You can't take that up. And you certainly can't run the risk of missing your bus and waiting another half an hour for the next one to turn up. So it, it's just ridiculous. I mean, 37% of people in Greater Manchester say that transport is a barrier to accessing work. So we're holding people back at the moment and it's it's just not good enough. People should be able to get around. The car should be the last option if that's what they want. Mm. Sometimes people say to me, well, why don't we just get trams everywhere? But trams can't go around little windy estates. Trams take 10 years to get the investment, the decisions and the infrastructure, you know, dug into the ground. Buses are really flexible and they're affordable and they can be really environmentally friendly. Obviously, Greater Manchester's network, because again, those the <laughs> companies are making those choices. There's been a real lack of investment. And so we've got some of the dirtiest buses in all of the UK. However, London, where Sadiq Khan is in the driving seat, he has forced bus companies to put more clean buses on the streets. And, and that has led to better air quality and better buses. But of course, yeah, we need a really, really good bus network that we can depend on if we're going to ever look towards uh, a future that is is car free. And economically as well, every one pound you spend on buses, you get three pounds back. It would drive up productivity because we'd be able to get around a lot more stress-free without those horrible long traffic commutes and bad congestion. There are just so many benefits to good buses, which again, I think is why we've got really, really good support. It kind of taps into so many different areas that people feel really passionate about. I guess it's because the desire for good buses isn't just some like socialist lefty desire. Like back in the 70s or, you know, the post-war era, the basic Keynesian capitalist consensus was buses are mm. good because it makes workers mobile. That's good for capital. It makes consumers mobile. Also good for capital, mm. right? If you're being cynical, it's like even from a... How can we help the market? How can we help the economy view? Yeah, completely. Buses for the win. <laughs> Buses for the win. <laughs> if you go, if you're dorky like me and you really like the Transport Museum in Greater Manchester. Oh, peak oh what my. a museum. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, would recommend. And then there are the adverts like, go for a day trip, buy a bus and all of this. And you're like... Yeah, that's great. And I understand that in areas of Yorkshire as well, there, there were basically mm. at one point free buses because the fares were so cheap yeah. that often bus drivers weren't demanding that people were paying as well, which wow. meant that there was this amazing mobility, which we don't really see nowadays. However, as you might be able to tell, I'm from South London mm. and in London, we have a fantastic bus network. Um, and I know it's afforded me so many opportunities, mm. um, opportunities that I definitely took for granted before I moved to Manchester mm. as well, because it is affordable. It's 24 hours. It's clean. It's safe. It's green. And you can get everywhere, basically. Why is London's transport so much better than the rest of the country? Mm. It's not just better than Manchester. It's like everywhere outside London. I, I'm from North Wales, right? And, oh boy, do the buses suck there. And I remember I, my first job was shelf stacking the pet food section in Sainsbury's. And the bus, if it came on time, mm. was like, I remember being so annoyed that the first hour and a half of my shift was paying for the bus. That really does make your shift even harder. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oofty. Um, grim. But why is London's transport 
so much better and it's all these problems are kind of everywhere else so there are lots of reasons why london's buses are so much better they obviously do receive a lot of subsidy more subsidy than the rest of the country and we should bear that in mind however it's really good that local authorities are spending that money on a service which is so vital uh, to communities in london and that we deserve the same in Great Manchester, as do lots of different areas across the country. However, I think it goes deeper than that because that money that is given to London is used more efficiently. And that's because they have publicly controlled or regulated, the fancy word, buses down there. And what that means is that Transport for London plans the network decides everything from fares, colour of the bus, seat patterns, driver's pensions, mm. how green the buses are, um, et cetera, et cetera, and gives bus companies contracts to run those services at standards that they specify. And what that means is that you get this really well-planned network which links up with the trains, the trams, and actually works for communities. They have, of course, the Oyster ticket system yeah, as well. amazing. Which Jealous. Is easy to use, um, really affordable, guarantees you're getting the best price and gives drivers a lot less to think about as well. Driving a bus is a really hard job. We want to make that as enjoyable and easy as possible. Accessibility is improved as well. I, I've been to visit bus depots in London with drivers and we saw how if a ramp doesn't work in London, an accessibility yeah. ramp, a wheelchair ramp, um, that bus will be completely taken off for the whole day because... <sighs> If TfL catches you without a working ramp, you won't get paid for that day. That's how important it is. and That's excellent. It is excellent. And accessibility isn't good enough in London. However, it's much better than what we've got here. Mm. Obviously, um, we don't have audiovisual announcements here. I think having that public authority to plan, decide how to use the money, and having a system where that money goes towards buses and a lot less to shareholders mm -hmm. means that they've got fantastic buses. However, we can also think beyond public control and public control is actually a great way to end the free market in buses because you mm. decide who runs buses on your streets. Um, from there, of course, we can think about publicly owned operations. We know that publicly owned buses work really well because, for example, mm -hmm. Edinburgh has one of the best bus and tram networks, both publicly owned in the UK. They often rank very high in the world's 100 best transport wow. indexes. Um, but of course, Nottingham and Reading are renowned for their really high bus use as well. And people often refer to their buses as our buses there. Buses are really important to so many people. Why are they so ignored in like national discourse? I think there are lots of different reasons. Low and middle income people are particularly reliant on buses. If we were to divide income by bottom fifth and top fifth, the bottom fifth take five times as many buses as, as the top fifth. Because the top fifth are all just in sort of like chauffeur-driven dog sleds. Dog sleds, exactly. Or ponies yeah. pulled by ponies. Bentleys pulled by ponies. Training, uh, taking flights from Manchester to <laughs> Sheffield or something. <laughs> A basic consensus point is that people are like, the trains suck. Mm. Um, but that's in the national news and that's because wealthier people take more trains right whereas buses it's it's more average people that are taking them is that an element of it completely so the evidence is that low and middle income people are particularly reliant on buses buses often people say that they've got a bad image but i think it's the fact that they've been neglected and therefore people increasingly can't rely on them to get around 
in in London again where I'm from buses don't have a bad image because they're they're really good they're effective the public discourse is written in London where the transport's all good (laughs) right completely because I remember I I I think it was months ago now but like Corbyn said something about buses at Prime Minister's questions and then got absolutely flamed for it you're so right as if oh but who cares about buses well loads of people loads of middle class and working class people care about buses exactly just outside London it's funny, isn't it? Because if, you know, if the working class is saying, oh no, we haven't got houses or, oh no, the buses suck, not going to be on the news. But if, or oh, we don't like immigration, just as many microphones in their face as possible. Yeah, I think you're so, so right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's almost as if they're like trying to Demonized frame the agenda. Or- yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? So what strategies has the Better Buses campaign used Uh, Which ones have been kind of effective and why? We've not won the campaign yet. Andy Burnham is still going to be making his decision in the upcoming months. The way we understood the process is that an investigation has to be done into the options, so public control versus voluntary partnerships, which are basically where the bus companies say, we've been doing such a good job, just let us keep deciding what we'll do and what we'll offer, Um, (laughs) which... It just doesn't make any sense. You've not done a good job for the past 30 years. Why would we keep letting you voluntary offer to do piecemeal changes? And now that investigation has come to a close and the official recommendation is to bring our buses into public control. Nice. Which, yeah, we were ecstatic about. You got the bureaucrats on side. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were ecstatic, but we weren't surprised because we know that public control really works. Now um, that's being independently audited super thrilling and we can expect a public consultation and that will be three months what we intend to do during that consultation is to make buses the coolest thing ever and we're going to try and reach as many people with public events flyering we want to do a little tour around all of Greta Manchester and we basically want people to talk about how they find their buses what they think could improve when I go out and talk to people, I know people have lots of thoughts. <laughs> so we just want to make sure that people are filling out that consultation. And we intend to make that um, as fun and accessible as possible. In terms of the strategies that we've used, it's very much, I think, been a, a coalition. We've got an amazing group of people, environmental networks, older people's networks, um, unions, community, civic forums. And we very much tried to co-organize we had a public meeting where again we invited lots of people and we asked people right there and then to volunteer to meet their local council leader so it's very much been asking people for their ideas and their thoughts and then I think trying to appeal to Andy Burnham and make the case you know we are here and we're watching if you don't do what our communities want we will tell people that and of course there is an election next May he he needs to be listening to us We've also been trying to highlight the fact that the bus companies are not our friends. At the end of the day, they're there to make money yep. and they're doing a very good job of that. <laughs> so um, that that's kind of what how we've been approaching it. Amazing. Are you putting on some sort of musical? Is there a <gasps> yeah, bus the musical. musical element? I'm glad I brought it up. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're so right. So there are loads of amazing campaigns for public transport all across the UK and in Scotland they've just recently had a big win because they've changed their legislation so that all councils can have publicly owned buses if they want to which oh wow yeah that's illegal here isn't it exactly yeah. yeah they were at risk of copying our legislation but 
because of the campaigning that's happening up there, mm. a group called Get Glasgow Moving, they've overturned that. So that's really exciting. And as a result, Glasgow, Aberdeen and Falkirk have launched investigations into having their own publicly owned buses. So this is amazing. But the campaigner that has been a huge part of that campaign also is an artist. She basically was invited to take part in Manchester Art Gallery's Get Together and Get Stuff Done exhibition. And Manchester Art Gallery have been amazing at offering us space to bring more people into the campaign. And Ellie Harrison, the artist, basically said, I want to use my piece in that exhibition to get the word out about the campaign. And therefore, in September, there will be two showings of a musical on roller skates about uh, the history of bus provision in Greater Manchester. That's amazing. Isn't that amazing? I, I can't wait. When I tell people about it, they're like, huh? They can't believe it, but it's going to be really brilliant. Go. I'll, Go. See, I'll see you there. <laughs> Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean. Other music in the episode was by Jack Evans. Thank you to Pascal. Better buses for Greater Manchester are easy to find online. If you're local, check out their petition and consultation and events. If you're not local, hopefully there's a similar campaign near you. If not, uh, maybe you should start one. If you like this episode, please subscribe, uh, share it, listen to it again, just out of your phone speaker on some public transport. Cheers.